wanted to ask us to be aware of something of a companion text over in Corinthians. Not surprising, of course, Paul uh, is pretty consistent in his theology and finds uh, in the various churches that he addressed similar issues and concerns and always wanting to make sure that certain things are always understood, including this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to be circumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he is called. Now, Lord, we ask now that you would anoint the word going out, the preacher and the preached too, be glorified in both. We ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Retired farm. in relationship to uh, getting used to this, not being a farmer officially. And uh, Fred said, well, cheer up. He says, it only took me four or five years to get used to it. So I guess i got to go a ways to go. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're continuing in leadership and the expository preaching of the Word of God, specifically the book of Galatians. Gary's done the, the lion's share of it, you could say, but uh, on the other end, I think, Pat, you did some too, right? So our text for today literally is a uh, almost a summary of what has been spoken about in the previous four chapters. So we're changing... You could say the set, if it were on a screen or uh, in a orchestra. Anyways, verse 1, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It was for freedom that Christ set you free, or us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, or say that if you... Receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither there is circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. A very graphic text. To be poignant on purpose in order to put his point in the proper proper uh, perspective and how serious the issue is with the Galatian churches. Paul's letter to the Galatians follow his two previous visits to the southern towns in southern Turkey, or otherwise called Galatia. It was here that Paul was even stoned and nearly died. It was necessary that the word of God was spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. This is literally, uh, you could say, a fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew 21. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. You could say that the Judaizers and the Jews themselves as a whole have disqualified themselves from the faith. Why? Well, one of the issues, and probably the greatest one, is legalism and self-righteousness. We are here today to determine, or I said make a determination, of grace in contrast to works. Faith in contrast to works in human effort. Hating Paul's gospel, Jewish leaders had constantly followed him and stirred up the crowds around him. By God's grace, some of them were saved, but others, in a certain way you could say, became half a Christian. In other words, the Judaizers did not deny Christ and his messianic claims, but they had to add something to the law, or I should say add something to grace, which was the law. And therefore, the church is in trouble. Paul writes to them in the first chapter and literally says, you so quickly deserted Christ. That's how serious the matter is. Literally, they're being trampled, that is the Galatian church, being trampled underfoot by men. Not, not you could say, the enemies who are Rome, but actually people who even profess to be spiritual, those who profess to be knowing God. They're the ones who are trampling down the Galatians with this false doctrine, the doctrine of not grace, but of works. The particular wedge, of course, that the Judaizers are using is circumcision. Simply, you cannot be saved unless you are circumcised. They call that, by the way, a false conversion. If you believe that in some way, somehow, that you could be saved by your own human effort, you will never be saved. I don't care how often you call out to God, how spiritual you claim to be, which seems to be the age we live in. You know, 
I've been reading up a little bit on some of these things that are happening, and one of the things we should be expecting that in the neo-paganistic society that we are now in, expect more spirituality, not less. And so this is what's happening in our day. There are different ways to get to God. There are different religions. There is universality, and we'll all get there by and by and sing Kumbaya. I haven't sang that since I was in eighth grade, by the way. Paul says literally to a church that is on a precipice of death rather than life in the Spirit, you foolish Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Are you so foolish to have begun in the Spirit, you are now being perfected in the flesh? Here's the choice, spiritual enlightenment or fleshly indulgence and darkness. This is the worst case scenario for any church. And I mean that sincerely. Think of it. Grace plus works. Self-justification plus grace. um, uh, Self-righteousness. Self-sanctification rather than grace alone. I love that song. I love that song, uh, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. I don't know if that's the actual title of the song. Um, It brings my mind back to a a very fond, uh, loving memory to a man named, and it's an old name, Winifred Sears. And Winifred was dying in his bed, very much like I talked to uh, Fran, literally uh, the morning that he died. And both Winifred and Fran died in faith faith alone. Why? Because nothing but the blood of Jesus could save them. And they had a lifetime of faith believing in the atonement of Christ, in the blood of Christ, in the sacrifice of Christ. But it is the worst case scenario to mix gospel of the gospel of grace and works. Believing that we must fulfill some kind of part or part of God's law in order to be really saved. But it's tempting, isn't it? Grace seems too good to be true. Just believe, and you're saved. You know what they say. If it seems too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true, right? Other people say, there's nothing free in this world. And yet, I'm selling you today free grace. That's all there is to purchase that's of any value. The only thing of value is in the book of Galatians and the other books of the Bible that point you to grace and only to Christ Himself and only to the cross. In the Old Testament, we have something similar. Uh, In the wilderness, God had sent as judgment to the children of Israel serpents. Serpents that literally were killing people by the day, by the minute. And Moses made, by commandment of God, a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And it says, look and live. Is that all there is, someone says. It's too good to be true. I can't believe that. We must have to do something else. Maybe just one little work. Maybe... Maybe just obeying the law just from one little perspective called circumcision. Oh, it's grace alone, through faith alone, 
in Christ alone. We still believe in the solas of the Reformation. They are still important to us today. We tend to naturally think to a certain degree that salvation is in the form of steps. I believe that actually the Catholic Church has successfully made salvation a a degree of steps over a, a certain period of time or lifetime, and then at the end of the day, you get last rites and therefore you're saved. Salvation is not in steps. In fact, you know, sometimes I've heard other Christians, I've said it myself, what unbelievers need is the one-step program, right? Grace alone through the blood of Christ, believing upon Him alone and, and, and simply by grace alone. Yet it still sounds too good to be true. Maybe this is what they were thinking, the Galatians, right? Maybe that's actually the selling point by the Judaizers themselves. Paul says again, Does God then, who provides you with the Spirit and work miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? How does He do it? Simply by faith. You receive the Spirit of God simply by faith. I know it's too good to be true, but believe it. That's all you need to know. Christ is sufficient enough. Point to the cross. Did He not say it is finished? Don't you believe him when he has said it? That's the true question. Peter was asked by Jesus, who who do you say that I am? At the end of the day, it's that personal for you and I. Who do we say that Jesus is? Who do we say Jesus has accomplished? And is it finished? Hebrews 4 says that God bore witness of the Holy Spirit when he gave miracles and signs and wonders to people like Paul and Barnabas. Paul is literally saying, you have the Spirit. We've demonstrated the power of the Spirit within you because of the power of the signs and the wonders we've demonstrated in your midst. Now start acting like it. And I think in a very small way, maybe large, that maybe that's one of the messages of the message. You have the Holy Spirit. Start acting like it. Right? The miracles literally demonstrated that God sent Paul and Barnabas. I sent them. Believe them. You have the Spirit of God. Trust in Christ alone. There's no other thing, no other person who can persuade you to add something to Christ. Believe the gospel that they teach you. Only the gospel. Well, in that first chapter, we know that there was another gospel. And actually, there is no such thing as another gospel, right? There's only one gospel. The scripture says, contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. If you've got multiple gospels, you have no gospel at all. On the other hand, if you only believed in Christ, then you are certain to know that you are set free from the law of sin and death. Adding law to faith literally nullifies grace, we learn in the scriptures. Faith in Christ who is the only one that could fulfill the law, frees us from the bondage of sin, the guilt of sin. There's a lot of unhappy Christians out there today. Is it maybe simply the reason that the gospel is too good to true and they're still trying to work things out themselves? Plus Christ, right? In Romans, 
Chapter 3, Paul says, We do not nullify the law by faith. On the contrary, we establish the law. This is one of the most important texts of Scripture in Romans chapter 3 that you should maybe even memorize. And the reason is, is that the lens through which you look at the law must be through Christ and Him alone, through grace alone, by faith, right? You don't look at Christ and then survey Christ and the grace of God through the law. It was never intended to be that way. The law is just simply a shadow of things yet to come, pointing to Christ and the grace of Christ. If it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, Paul says. The Galatians are literally, in the book of Galatians, being taught to syncretize syncretize their religion. It's like oil and water, you know. Grace and works. The oil would be the works. The grace is the water. Jesus said that I will give you springs of living water bubbling up out of you. By the way, bubbling is my term, not his. Psalm 65, David says, the earth is enriched like a stream of God and it's full of water. Literally, you could say the waters that enrich this earth are like the grace of God within you when you're saved. Ezekiel talked about water. I will sprinkle you with clean water. I will clean you from all of your sins and all of your idols. Yes. Pure living water is only grace, not grace plus something or someone else. You see, in the, in the agricultural business, especially in uh, fruit farming, I have 30-gallon ga- barrels in the barn, and uh, it's called horticultural oil. Now, horticultural oil literally is just simply a refined oil that has an emulsifier within it. In other words, naturally, oil does not mix with water. You've probably seen on television when there's a uh, a ship that uh, springs a leak and the uh, oil is floating on top of the water. It starts to coalesce in clumps and they throw these uh, buoys around it and try to capture as much of the oil as they can. Oil and water cannot mix. Grace and w- works cannot mix. By the way, the Judaizers are like the emulsifier, the very chemical within the oil that allows the water to mix with the oil when I put it in the tank. The Judaizers are the ones who are causing the confusion. They're the one that causing the division. They, they do this on purpose because they want to mix oil and water. They want to mix grace with works or works with grace. That's what they do. They're, you could say, professionals at it. The only way you can get them to mix it is by emulsifying it. And false teachers will use any means possible. So today's text, believe it or not, that was the introduction. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, marks a transition point. That transition point is followed by literally chapters 2, 3, and 4, whereas John MacArthur calls the principles of justification. Here's the offense, chapter 1. Here's Paul's life that literally leads right up to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, 
where actually the law and grace is discussed, debated, and solidified as something that don't mix together. They are like oil and water. And then he articulates very profoundly justification and using Abraham as the example. And by doing so, we find ourselves, as the Galatians should find themselves, as sons of Abraham, spiritual children children of Abraham. Why? Because they're saved through faith, believing in the promise of God, in the grace of God, believing that Messiah will come. The only thing different for you and I is that we believe that Jesus has come already and he will return again. Those who are of faith, Paul says to the Galatians, are blessed with Abraham. You know how blessed you and I are? Blessed to know that grace is like pure and living water, bubbling up, boiling up out of your heart to where the message of the gospel of salvation and the blood, the washing blood of Christ has washed us as white as snow. And though your sins be as scarlet, He has made you clean and white and pure. We don't deserve it. You see, it's the person who, who thinks that um, they can do something in addition to grace that soils the water, that makes it impure. That kind of water is cloudy. It's undrinkable. This grace is pure. It's like Poland Spring, right? It's like seeing down on one of those beautiful lakes up in New Hampshire where you can see 30, 40, 50 feet deep. You can see the rocks glimmering in the sun at the bottom. That's what grace looks like. So we are sons of Abraham and we are very, very blessed. We are not and we cannot be justified by law. And if we believe that the law can justify us, the Bible says that we're separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants and promises, having no hope without God in the world. You're an alien to your Savior if you add works. That's the reality. In verses 1 through 6 then, therefore, Paul is saying, you're freed from the law. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. And the implication is, in that first, that uh, first verse, uh, in chapter five, is that you're free. Why do you want to go back into bondage? Stand firm, he says. Stand firm. Verses one through six is freed from the law. And then he said in seven through twelve, you're freed from those who teach a false circumcision, who teach law plus grace. How firm are your convictions? Are you contending for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints? Jesus said the scriptures cannot be broken. Do you break them? And you know, I, there's a, there's a, uh, I remember Al Mohler, I, I said this a Bible study might be uh, profitable here today. I remember hearing Al Mohler when he said how reformed churches can actually become like liberal churches at their local Bible studies, whether any night of the week. And I'm saying to myself, okay, now how is he going to segue this one in? Well, he says, you know, he says a, a Bible study reformed church sometimes go like many Arminian churches or even um, uh, legalistic churches. 
because the teacher arrives and he teaches his lesson. Then he, then he asks everybody around, what do you think about the text? By the time it goes all the way around, everybody in the circle say at the Bible study, the, the, the teacher ends up saying, well, I think the, the text says this. It has nothing to do with what you think. It's what the scripture says, right? What I'm saying to you is that grace is the only way. Grace through the blood of Christ and through his finished work. We must have our own convictions and not move from them. And if there's any ever been a day, and I've been a Christian for over 40 years now, if there's ever been a day where being firm in your faith, standing firm is important, it's right now. You, you, there's a plethora of choices that the world is giving you. Uh, the false faith, the, 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 the legalistic churches or just spirituality is giving you an uh, option after option of to add to the gospel. This truth of grace alone is why the church is the salt of the earth, isn't it? We have a message that no one else has. Grace is gracious. It's free. It will set you free. It will set you free from your guilt and your sin. It will also will take fear away from death. And you'll die like Fran. You'll die like my friend Winifred in peace, in the knowledge of Christ and in grace. Jesus said if the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. They're being trampled underfoot by the Judaizers. That's what's happening here. Paul has a rescue plan. You're justified by faith alone. You're free in Christ. If you go back to the law, you're a slave all over again. He's predicting their life. This is what will happen to you. You'll be a slave if you continue on the path that you're in. Paul says, you're all waiting eagerly for the Spirit and the hope of righteousness by faith, he says. We're all waiting. But we can't jump the gun, you could, we could say in, in our day and age. We have the righteousness of Christ in us, imputed to us. Be satisfied with that. Trust Christ while you live. Trust in His grace to live His life through you and in you. To be circumcised, if they choose this path, will make them estranged from God. Not close to Him. Maybe there's someone here today who feels a little estranged from God. Maybe you've loaded your shoulders a little bit too much with your own accomplishments or maybe your own work to earn credit unto salvation. It can be very subtle, and I say that because sometimes we look at our spirituality, our faith in Christ as a series of do's and don'ts. And if I, if I just get to the, the number five bullet point, I've had a really good week this week, right? Sometimes we do that. I had a friend 25 years ago come to the farm only a year and a half ago. Uh, 25 years ago, I witnessed the gospel to him. And um, it somewhat stunned me because I hadn't seen him for so long. 
and I had time to talk to him. Uh, he, I was over at the stand. He came to the stand, and um, we just were talking about, you know, what have you been doing for the last 25 years, right? And he was telling me how I changed his life. And, of course, okay, that's a place to start that doesn't usually happen to me every single day. And I know what I did 25 years ago. I preached the gospel to him, the gospel of grace. And the gospel not of, of a salvation of works, but a gospel of faith in Christ alone. And he was telling me that from the point that I preached to him, that for 25 years his life got better. True story. For 25 years he went from an alcoholic going to Alcoholics Anonymous and part of and parcel of all of what alcoholism will do to you and the destruction of your life. He says, you started me off where my life got only better and I stand here before you today, my words, not his, that I'm a better man because of you. So I started to preach the gospel again to him. And his countenance fell. True story. What just happened? He literally came back at me and literally said, in a paraphrase, you didn't tell me that. I just told you my whole life has changed. And you're telling me this now? We didn't recognize I told him that 25 years ago. But what he falsely construed as was the gospel with him doing and becoming a better man over 25 years. He was more righteous. He probably didn't sin as much. He obviously stopped drinking and all the things that accompany that. And yet he lived lived a life of self-righteousness. It can happen. If I were to put a measure of weight to faith and grace, it wouldn't weigh anything. Absolutely nothing. But if I were to put a measure of weight to works and circumcision, as was the work that was being proposed to the Galatians, it would weigh a thousand pounds. It would be so heavy, the, the, they would be walking crunched like this because the weight is just so much. Why? Because the law has great demands. It demands everything of you that you can't fulfill. It's the reason why grace literally teaches us that Christ fulfilled all the demands of the law. What comes with the law is a curse. And cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus hung on a tree and he fulfilled the law. And you are now free. Free from the law of sin and death. He bore the weight that you and I could not bore. That's what the law would do to you. It'll load you up and weigh you down. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, he nailed them to the cross. Simply so. Profoundly so. The weight of Jewish circumcision was not only measured by the right itself, one law, all you have to do is one little thing, get circumcised. And then you'll be like us. But there's greater weight with one law as with the whole law. In other words, both Paul and James teaches, if you think you're going to be getting to heaven by the works of the law, 
Well, think of it. If you break one law, you've broken the entire old covenant. That was the problem with the Jews, right? In self-righteousness, they thought they could do the law. Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew 5, and he basically tells us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, by the way, not just the law physically, but also the law spiritually, how you obey the law fully, and you can't. You can't. And you die. The wages of sin is death, is it not? Paul literally says the law is not a faith. Why are you even going there? Why are you going there? Dear Christian, if your spirituality, if your faith in Christ is based on something else that you do in addition, why are you going there? Trying to live a life of grace while consciously consciously trusting in some kind of work to add to the righteousness of God is literally a burden that you can't bear. The Jerusalem Council, Paul settled the matter. And yet, this just keeps rearing its ugly head over and over again within the world, even in the 21st century. Paul literally says to them, not to the Galatians, but actually, well, actually in Acts chapter 15, he says, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test? by putting or placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through grace of the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ and in the same way as they are also. He literally says, why do you put God to a test? To add works is to test God. That's how serious it is. Legalism is still, and actually, I don't know if you, some of you don't know it. We changed our name to uh, Grace, I mean, uh, Sovereign Grace Chapel. Uh, And um, Mark and I were elders then. And uh, Gary's reasoning made a lot of sense. I did not have a a background in Reformed Baptist circles, but evidently uh, legalism is somewhat resident in many of Reformed Baptist churches. So we changed it to Sovereign Grace Chapel. Why? It's grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone in Him. Interesting, here's a definition of legalism in the Reformed Dictionary, the Theological Dictionary. Legalism is defined as a relationship or ethical system that is governed primarily by obedience to prescribed rules. You may be asking, well, where's the word circumcision in that definition. Anything can be legalistic. It doesn't take circumcision, just circumcision. It can be anything. If Satan desired, he'd get you to worship a rock, right? The question really is, and it comes down to this, does Christ rule your life and is he your guide or is it rules? Is it the law? Is it a work? Paul calls this in Colossians chapter 2, self-made religion. If you choose to be circumcised, as the Judaizers are proposing to you, that's a self-made religion. It's not true gospel, not true grace. 
And legalism affects both your relationship with God and relationship with your neighbor, and it would affectionately uh, affect our relationship with one another here if it were ever to come to pass. Now in verses 7 through 12, Paul uses the word leaven to describe circumcision or any other work that would be added to grace. Leaven causes a lump of dough to rise. Circumcision would only be the very beginning of the legalism that would be in that church. It would destroy lives. It would destroy families. It would destroy relationships with one another. It is sin to compel your brother or sister within even this church to obey a system or a rule that binds their conscience to something or someone other than Christ. That is sin. It's a reason reason why the Scripture says... um, um, Commend yourselves. Um, speak words for the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Right? Grace is what we're looking for in this church. Grace. Peter failed, by the way, in chapter 2, did he not? He's hanging out with the Gentiles and all of a sudden the Jews show up and he sides with them. Paul literally said to Peter, he says, you are not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Quote, unquote. That's, you could say, where it all comes down to, being straightforward with the gospel. In today's COVID era, we have chosen sides. For instance, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Natural immunity versus vaccines. And I know there's legitimate concerns for both, and you guys are a lot smarter than me in all of this, and I mean that sincerely. But I have also seen Christians and churches of other pastors as well where there's this little subtle, I know more than you do. I have more knowledge in these things than you do. It's almost a little legalistic spirit that can grow into like leaven and get larger and larger in a church. See, the point is, is Satan will use anything, any rule, any system, any catastrophe or crisis that's in the world today, he will use that, try to bring it into the church, and then try to destroy us and sift us like wheat. We have to be conscious of that 24-7 in this church, and every church has to do the same. That's the point. Here's a few suggestions. Be straightforward in the gospel of truth, in our preaching, in our worship, in our relationships, right? That may mean that we have to retweak the way we talk to one another in relationship to what's going on out there, whether it's COVID this year and it's something else three years down the road. Satan's going to use any crisis or anything in order to bring about a divided spirit within the church. This happens all the time. It's been happening since I've been a Christian for 40 years. There's always these things coming around every single corner. Secondly, live in the simplicity and the purity of devotion of Christ. You know what's so profound about this text? You know, here's Paul articulating in theological language, articulating in um, 
I'm trying to use the right word. Um, well, like a scholar, which he was, right? And yet, in chapter 5, he's summarizing his point being made to the Corinthians, I mean to the Galatians, in the first four chapters. What does he say? He says, all that really matters is faith expressing itself through love. Do you realize he wrapped up all his theological argument in that one statement? All that really matters in Sovereign Grace Chapel is faith expressing itself in love. That's all that matters. That doesn't mean theology is important. That just says we can wrap it up in a nutshell and get an awful lot out of it, right? Just think of COVID as a test. Another test for the world, another test for God's church, another test for you and for me. How are you going to do in it? You're still going to love your neighbor, going to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you're going to love, love your fellow brothers and sisters in this church. And are you going to be faithful? Paul literally says, actually in Colossians chapter 2, these are the elemental things of the world that Satan uses. And I, like Paul, have confidence in you that he who began a good work in you shall perfect it until the day of Christ. He just will. That you know grace when you see it. And then when you see works, when you see legalism, you'll also see that too and recognize it and identify it. Paul's hatred for those who teach false grace is obvious. Would those who are troubling you, would they even mutilate themselves. Think of it. Um, I know I use that phrase a couple times. Uh, preachers aren't supposed to repeat words, are they? If I came here to this church and I said, all you men, after the eighth day, up to 80 years old, have to be circumcised, how much ground do you think Satan would get in... Uh, getting his agenda across in this church. Not at all. He's certainly going to use something different, something more uh, relevant in the day and age to which we are at. Expect it. So how devoted then are you to and for pure grace? Are you for freedom? It's easy to say. Do you live it? If grace matters to you, then we must do the following. Paul's already said to you, by the way, in the book of Galatians, we have to crucify the self. Right? Uh, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live the life I now live. I live according to the faith in the Son of God. That's the answer, crucifying the self. There will be never any legalism if you're dying to the self. Paul said, I die daily that the life of Christ will be manifested in my mortal flesh. We must die in order to live. We must die in order to be free in Christ. There's no fertile ground for legalism if you crucify the self. Secondly, you must bind the conscience, your conscience, to Christ alone. Pat's conscience is not my conscience, and my conscience is not his. Our conscience is Christ's. Our conscience is his book. Right? Properly interpreted so we might know and understand the very will of God. 
act as a son, number three. Know that you're a, a true child of God. Rest in that, in the grace of God. Children depend on their father. Do you? Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 12, the Judaizers are making a showing in the flesh so they would not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. There's always an ulterior motive for every single false teacher. And by the way, like Paul says, he says, why am I still being persecuted? You see, and it seems too good to be true, to be saved by grace. But you'll know that actually you're under grace, not under law, when you actually start getting persecuted. Now, is that twisting the mind or what? I mean, you think of it. That is just not ordinary thinking for the average person. But the spiritual and mind, spiritually minded Christian does understand that. Grace offends people. There's always, the world thinks I have to do something in order to please God. When you say grace, you say you're not good enough. You cannot satisfy the demands, not only of the law, but the demands of God. Right? Paul says, if I preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He chose grace, did he not? We are a stumbling block to the world. We should be a stumbling block to false teachers as well. So Paul has given his argument to finish up. He's given his argument for grace alone. He spent 14 years preaching it. He ends up at the Jerusalem Council and fights for it, telling the world the message of grace and people by the thousands being saved by it. Grace is offensive to the world. It says you cannot be saved by human effort. You are not good enough to save yourself. And only God can save you by His grace. It's that simple. Preaching the gospel is simple. It is profound to keep the theologian busy for the next 40 years of his life. But also a child can be saved. Your children can be saved by the simple message of the grace of God. Is it not? Therefore, we're freed from the law. We're freed from the bondage of sin. We're freed from sin's guilt. And we now have freedom to draw near to God without any fear. Without any fear. That's what grace does. It draws us closer to God. And draws us away from sin. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this day with the word of truth. Not because I said it, but because, O Lord, it's in your book. And that, O Lord, you have revealed to us, O Lord, by the power of your Spirit, the ways of God that are gracious and powerful and meaningful. Direct us, direct us, O Lord, to the well that is a spring of living water that will refresh us, that will save those who are not saved, even in this room, if they cry out for the grace of God and will refresh us, those who are saved, in the name of Christ. Amen.